and welcome back to the Dreamcast. I am your host, Denise Walsh. I combine science, scripture, and stories that will inspire you to dive deep, break through your own personal glass ceiling, and design a life of your dreams. Welcome, welcome back to the Dreamcast. As you know, on the Dreamcast, we talk to entrepreneurs, to basically anybody, right, who is living their dream life. The ups and downs they experienced along the way, they, they had a dream, they went to pursue it, and even if they didn't see instant success, they had such a strong belief within them that they took steps Anyway, and our next guest is no exception. He is the founder and CEO of whatismyipaddress.com, and he started the website on January 4th, 2000, which was quite a long time ago. (laughs) And for the first five years, he actually didn't cover his internet bill. Can you imagine working on a business that, like an internet business that didn't even cover your internet? In 2005, Chris made $30 from display ads and he knew he couldn't give up. So by 2014, he was laid off from his corporate job and faced with that scary opportunity, right? What do I do next? Do I go headfirst into the website full-time business or do I kind of go back and get a job? But he had a desire in his belly. And since then, he's aggressively grown his site to generate just under seven figures a year in revenue with no employees, no office, and no inventory. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait to hear his story. So big Dreamcast, welcome to Chris Parker. Hello, it's great to be here. Yay, thank you so much for connecting with us. Most of our listeners are entrepreneurs or they're, maybe they're ready for a change and they don't quite know what to do next. And it sounds like you were in that space yourself years and years ago. So what was your day job before you started the internet business? So I had the joy of being in the incredibly exciting life insurance business. Oh, yes. (laughs) I I worked uh, for many years as a uh, web developer for an online life insurance broker. So I was building their website to give out life insurance quotes and lead gen and all that kind of not particularly exciting, very extremely blue chip, low risk type of business. Okay. And how long did you do that for? (laughs) I worked for them for about eight years. Okay. And so what drove you to start what is my IP address.com in 2000? So actually at the, in 2000, I was working for a, uh, a mail order computer company before really uh, you could buy stuff online. It was all over the phone and via catalogs and fun stuff like that. I was uh, helping out with a little bit of the IT stuff in the office there. And we, for, we had a technical challenge and we needed to know the uh, IP address of our internet connection. And I went on to Alta Vista before, way before Google and realized, gosh, there wasn't an easy way to find my IP address. So I thought, you know, I, I'm a tech guy. I can put a computer in my home and on my one, one megabit DSL connection, I could build a website that does it. And that's what I did. So you saw a need and you thought, oh, I can create that. Exactly. And, it, and the interesting thing about it, it, was, it, it never crossed my mind in the beginning that it was ever something that I could monetize or make money from. It was just, well, let me just put this together and it'll help somebody else who was in a difficult position and make their life easier. Okay. Okay. My husband's an IT guy too. So he can like whip up websites in a day and things that's 
which like, I don't have a brain cell for that, but you just whip up your website, <laughs> you, you create this, but you don't generate income for five years. So was there consistent work that had to be done with this? Were you just, or was it just kind of out there and hanging out? For the first couple of years, it was really just out there hanging out. I, you know, put the, put it out there and, uh, at some point decided, hey, let me, let me put a, an email address on there. If people have questions, they can get a hold of me. And so I started seeing a lot of the same questions over and over and thought, well, let me, let me just type up those questions and create a fact page. That way I don't have to actually answer those questions anymore. And uh, so that was kind of how I started to actually build content for it was people just asking me questions and me just answering them. And when I heard the question enough, it made sense to clean up the answer a little bit and make it available on the website. So you kind of developed the website through people's interaction with it. So for the five years, it wasn't generating any income, but you weren't necessarily needing it to because it was just hanging out. So what was like the aha moment that you had that this could actually make money? The aha moment was two things. I started getting alerts saying that the hard drive that the, that the website was running on was full, which made no sense to me because eh, the website, it's, you know, it's like three pages. How could the drive be full? the drive was full from all the logs of people hitting the website. And that, you know, I wasn't running Google analytics. I wasn't checking to see how many people were coming to the site. Wow. There's a lot of people coming to the site. That's really neat. And then there was the advent of this wonderful thing called Google AdSense. And I could uh, stick a little ad on my site and they handled all the, they handled finding the advertisers. They handled everything. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh wow, there's money coming in. This is kind of cool. Oh, yeah, because in 2000, now I graduated high school in 1999. So I, we didn't have smartphones. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't have, like, it was the the, the world of MapQuest and, you know, Tom, Tom, what are those, those GPS? The, the Thomas Guide, yes, <laughs> and Tom Tom. Yeah, Tom Tom. Like, it was, this was a while ago, you guys. And so you kind of had a website up early on. So that way, when people were actually really starting to use the internet in such a bigger, broader scale, you were the one they found. Yeah, I was very fortunate to be uh, early to the game in that sense. And there's a couple of my competitors who have been around that time space as well. But uh, there's definitely advantage when, when you're first to market. It, there could be an advantage from that, I should say. Yeah. And the advantage is interesting because you're first to market. You're the first one there, but we've been in our business 11 years. And a lot of times they're like, oh, you got so lucky. But the element of being there at the right time at the right place, but then you also saw the vision of it growing. So you started to use Google ads. You started to monetize it. Was there any other way besides Google ads or was that your biggest revenue source? Over the years, that has definitely been a, a large portion of it. In the last couple of years, there have been some new technology uh, in terms of ad platforms that can kind of compete in conjunction with AdSense, which has been uh, really beneficial. And I, w- I won't geek out on that too much. Most people are, it'll go way over their heads and the eyes will glaze over. No fun, n- nothing like that. But I've also done affiliate advertising. So it's products that make sense for the audience that if I, if I refer them over to someone and they buy that, I get a little piece of the commission. Cool. Very cool. So you, you first saw a need, you filled it, and then you found a way to make money there. Now, so what I think is so interesting about the entrepreneurial journey is that a lot of times you do have to make the choice to leave a safe, low-risk corporate job where you know what to expect and it's often comfortable to this mm-hmm. 
more risk-filled. The journey is not necessarily clear. And so it can be a, just like a tricky choice for people to make. But um, it sounds like that stable career actually got taken from you and wasn't as stable as people often give it credit, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the company that I worked for uh, struggled through the financial crisis. You know, like many businesses, it just people stopped spending money. If they didn't have to spend money, they didn't. And it uh, hurt tremendously the company that I was working for. Whether it was good or bad, it was kind of a, a, a slow, painful transition in that it was initially, well, we're going to lay off a lot of the company, but we're going to try to hang on. So there's a little bit of, now there's that anxiety going on of like, okay, the economy's really crummy, but I still have a job. Okay, I'll just hold out the, the difficult economy. And then it was, hey, Chris, we can't pay you full-time anymore. Can you work part-time for us? And so it was, it was an interesting transition because my wife and I thought, well, do I try to find another job or is this an opportunity? And, you know, we talked about it. I said, well, let's, let's try it for a while. And it gave me the opportunity to transition more of my attention to my side hustle to what is my address.com. And uh, the, the life insurance company eventually came back. I work, started to work for them full time again. And then they just had that, you know what, we can't do this anymore. We're, we're shutting the doors. And that was kind of a, a startling thing. Exactly. Because your stable job, right? Quote unquote, stable <laughs> yeah. job really wasn't that stable. Exactly. And uh, so my wife and I, we sat down, we prayed about it, we talked about it. And it was, okay, do I immediately try to, you know, the, the side business was, was had money coming in, and it was a decent amount of money coming in. But it was a question of, could I make more money by doing both? Or can I significantly grow my business by not doing a regular daytime job and just focusing on my side hustle? So we, we talked about it and decided, okay, we'll give it six months. And if I can make some headway and, and increase the revenue over the course of six months, we'll look at it and we'll keep going. So we did that six months. And at the end of that, the, the revenue was up. And I was like, oh, I think this could work. And so we said, okay, let's, let's give it a year now. <laughs> And did the same thing. And so after a year and a half was like, okay, I don't need to worry about a daytime job now. I don't need, I don't need to look for a daytime job. I can, I can do this full time now. And so that's that. kind of how that transition went. Well, and I, I think that it's so cool because you were building it on the side with the security of your job. And when that started to take away, you could put more time into it. And I think it's a really cool way to build a side hustle. I mean, I know some people need urgency, right? They need kind of the fear of I've got to make this work or I will not eat. But a lot of people also want the security of being able to be creative and you can be more creative when you're when you're not in that urgent space. So you're able to do a little bit of both. But what I'm so interested in is that you don't have employees, no office, no inventory. So you're a, like a solopreneur because you're doing this yourself. So how did you achieve, let's say, 6 million consistent visitors per month? Like that's a lot of traffic. Yep. A lot of it has been, you know, having been there from the beginning of the internet and consistently working to make sure that I'm serving my customers appropriately. I know there have been uh, the fads of pop-up ads. And uh, these days when you're on a mobile phone and you want to read uh, uh, some, some article, it's like three words per page. You keep next page, next page, next page. It's just so many ads. It's obnoxious. I've had to work really hard to balance my desire to make more money with what's really going to be in the best interest of people visiting the site. If it's such a horrible experience, they're not going to link to it. They're not going to talk about me. They're never going to come back. 
So I've had to make sure that I, that I really think, okay, if I were coming to this site, would I be willing to stay here or would I just leave because it's obnoxious and annoying? Yeah, it's interesting. Even in the website world, really thinking, what is my customer experience? Yes. Okay. And, and so it's really been uh, limiting the amount of ads I have and, and, and trying to keep that uh, experience nice and pleasant, along with trying to provide useful information in a way that makes sense. It's a really technical, a lot of the content on the site could be potentially in a really technical vertical and so I've worked really hard to make sure the content is using the least amount of buzzwords, the least geek speak, the least techno babble, and really just explain as much as I possibly can in everyday terminology. Well, I think that's really important because when you're so immersed in your industry, in your world, then it can, those words seem normal to you, but they often don't seem normal to the average stay-at-home mom or you know manager somewhere or whatever. And so thinking about the experience from their perspective changes kind of the layout. It changes the focus. Like you said, you answered questions that were getting asked consistently. It sounds like you were very focused on serving the consumer and it's worked out because you're getting so much traffic that that the ads are working and, and the affiliate stuff is working and it's bringing you in an income. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, it's been a fun transition. It's fun to try to figure out, well, what should I talk about next? And to be able to do that without having to worry about, well, I've got six employees and I've got a, oh, all the legal stuff of benefits and unemployment and all the kind of wacky stuff that we'd have to deal with as as an employer to not have that is, is a certain amount of freedom of not having to work. Did I get, did I get the right withholding done on the paychecks? And, uh. Yeah. Well, it allows you to stay creative because you yeah. don't have the burden of making sure everybody's got stuff to do and then making sure they're actually doing it. <laughs> yeah. yes. so, what are some of the aha moments or learning curves you've had throughout the years while you're growing your solopreneur business? Oh, an aha moment from my wife in, in communicating with me. I, I'm a geek, and so I had fun running this all out of the house. All the server, the, all the equipment was in the house. And uh, at some point, my wife came to me and said, "You know, if if somebody broke into the house and and stole the computer equipment, what would happen to the website?" And I'd be like, "Well, it'd be gone." <laughs> and she's like, do you, "Do you think it's the best idea to have that in the home anymore?" You know, it's just being the geek. I enjoyed doing that, but I had to make the decision of like, okay, it's time to get it out of the house. It's time to think responsible. And maybe it's a little bit less hands-on for me now, but I need to have the security and the safety of it's in a co-location facility. It's got power 24 hours a day. It's got air conditioning. It has everything it needs. And sometimes, you know, I've had to make those decisions of, well, I need to do things for the security and the safety of the business and in exchange for, well, it's a little bit, some things are a little bit less fun because I can't play with it. I can't touch it. I can't poke at it, which is part of the why, one of the things I really enjoyed about it, but I've got to learn to, okay, be responsible, take care of my family. Right, right. So in the, as the business grows, things change and being yes. open to change. And I know when you're so focused on something, it can be hard to have your you know, they say, see the forest from the tree. You know, when you're looking at the tree, it's interesting to take that mile high view and be like, okay, what's the big picture here? What's the next thing that? Yeah. Okay. What other transitions have you made when versus the early setup and what it looks like now? 
One of the other aha moments is about a year ago, I started working with a business coach. That realization, I don't know everything about business. And uh, one of the things that he had talked to, talked to me after a while is, you know, you're too comfortable. You don't do things that are challenging for you. You're, you're not, you know, you're never going to grow if you're not doing things that you're not used to doing. And so one of them was get on podcasts, start talking with people face to face, start interacting with people in a different way than just behind your keyboard. And so that's been a tremendous help just having uh, someone who thinks about my business differently for me. You're talking before about when you when you're on the inside, you see it the way you've seen it for however long you've been doing it and you you don't know what your blind spots are. And so I think it's tremendously important for people to have people in their lives that have some business experience who can look at them and say, Hey, have you thought about this? What about that? Do you think this really is the best way of doing that? So in part of like, what are the, how have things changed in and looking now? One of the things he's, again, he's challenged me about is, you know, are you making the best use of your time? So I'm looking at starting to writing up standard operating procedures for things that I do that might take me two hours a day, but that doesn't, it doesn't make me money and to figure out, okay, I know I've got no employees. Can I find virtual assistants elsewhere in the world who I can offload small tasks for that aren't employees, but are, you know, contractors to take away bits and pieces of things that distract me from really being able to focus on the big picture as opposed to moving widgets from one pile to the next, so to speak. Yeah, there's a lot of ways that you can outsource some of that stuff that doesn't necessarily have to be you that is not necessarily common knowledge. We use Upwork and Fiverr and like Indian outsourcers and all of these people that can help us do some of that manual, like just the, like you said, it's time consuming, but it's yeah. not like, it doesn't have to be you, right? Correct. So, so that's interesting because then once you start creating some of those systems and that frees up your time to do more of the creative fun stuff. Exactly. And so some of the things is just we're talking about, you know, building automated processes that take care of as much of that as I can. So even if I do transition it to somebody else, the portions that can be automated are there's no sense in having the at six o'clock every day, press this button. Or right. If I can automate that process, then no one has to press the button. And if I go on vacation, then... Right. It still gets pressed because it's automated. You are setting yourself for up for beach money. Yes. <laughs> My wife and I love to travel. And uh, that's one, I guess that's one of the, one of the advantages and disadvantages of being a solopreneur is that you get to travel, but while you're traveling, you still have to work. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's so fun. Well, it is. It's you're like, I'm working from the beach, but I'm, I am still working. <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm working. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm in Cambodia on a really, really slow Wi-Fi, but I, I, there's stuff that just has to be done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how has that been? Like figuring out what pieces of your business are automated, yet which ones require your time? Like how have you filtered through some of that? I, I'm starting to look at it in terms of what kind of skill sets out there and how much would it cost to do this? Um, looking at, okay, there's a certain amount of bookkeeping that has to be done every month, invoicing, deposits, paying bills and things like that. Does that need my time to do it? Or can I find someone at 10th of what I make an hour provided, you know, over the year to do it? And, and guess what? That's actually their skill set. They're qualified to do that. But a lot of it's trying to find repetitive stuff that, that just doesn't inherently in and of itself produce value. It needs to be done, but 
trying to take that stuff off my plate. Yeah, it's really thinking what needs to be me. What I mean, it's even asking yourself, what do I love? What am I good at? What it brings me joy? What are the things that I get excited about? And then outsource the rest so you can stay yes. in your zone. <laughs> yes, that, that's precisely what I need to do. Yeah, that's fun. And if you're a control freak, that, uh, that can be a difficult thing of like, you know, for almost 20 years, I've done the vast majority of this myself and it's hard to... You mean I have to trust somebody or, or to do, it's, it's really weird that you get all worked up, but it's like, this is a really mundane task. There's, there's no trust involved, but I have to trust someone that it's going to get done. Yeah. And sometimes I think training someone can be overwhelming too, because there's so much in our head that I'm like, it's going to take me forever for them to understand it. But that's a self-limiting belief, right? That's not even true. But once you get that off your plate, then you have more brain space to do some of the other fun stuff. Yeah, you can, you can only, I've heard it said, you can only make so many decisions a day. And if you're making your decisions on what pile do I put this piece of paper or things that don't move your business forward, then you're wasting your limited supply of decisions every day. So in 2000, when you started this website to be helpful to other people who might be mm -hmm. needing to know their IP address as well, uh, did you have any clue that this would be your full-time gig years later? I, I never thought it would even be possible for it to be a full-time gig. Even throughout from then until now, there's other businesses that I tried to do and spin up and had some limited success at them. But I kind of ran across the, the inventory issue, so to speak. I had a website that allowed people to find like just the exact Bible that they were looking for. But it was hard to run that as a, run that as a side hustle because, okay, I'd get home at night. Okay, here's what I need to order. I'd order it. Couldn't have it shipped to my office where I was working for somebody else. So I had to go, go somewhere else, pick it up, go home at night, pack them at lunch, go, go to the post office. And it was like, this is a lot of work. It's, <laughs> I'm running around. I'm working an extra four or five hours a day and my weekends are tied up doing this. And you know, maybe I made, you know, an extra thousand dollars a month, but... It's a, it's, a, it's a big hassle when you have inventory. So I had actually switched it over to Google launched or uh, Amazon had launched their affiliate program. I'm like, well, I'll, I'll just use the affiliate program because then I don't have to do any inventory myself. Just refer them to buy it from, from Amazon. And then uh, I don't know uh, how many people are familiar about this. Uh, Amazon had this really big concern about sales tax. Uh, and California was saying, look, uh, Amazon, if you have affiliates in California, you need to collect sales tax on all your sales to anyone in California. And uh, Amazon's response to that at the time was, we will uh, sever our relationship with every affiliate based in California. Oh, so wow. overnight with no notice, anyone who was an affiliate based in California lost their affiliate business with Amazon. Basically, with I think we had less than 30 days notice. Wow. And especially if that's a, a big revenue stream for you, that's a shock. Yeah. I mean, it, luckily it wasn't for me, but for other people, that was their livelihood. They had staff and they had all sorts of people based off of that and it kind of disappeared overnight. So wow. it, it, can, it can be challenging. So not only did you start this business, but you've started several businesses. I think once you have the entrepreneurial bug and you like see that there is tons of money to be made in this world, if you create something of value, you kind of can't go back to the normal corporate exactly. Yes. No. I remember when we quit our job, I was like, the worst thing that could happen is that we go back to work. And now I'm like, 
that is the worst thing that could happen. (laughs) So you probably have a lot of tips for other budding entrepreneurs who are kind of getting this bug as well. So share with us a few other things that you have learned. So I've learned a lot about uh, privacy and just like online safety over the years of having to hear stories of people who've had their, you know, they've, they've fallen victim to a scam and had their life savings swindled away from them. Being vulnerable here, I had a uh, someone approach me claiming to be an advertiser. I, I recognized the name of the company. I'm like, oh, this, this would be a great company to work with. I signed up, did all sorts of stuff, integrated them into my ad platform right at, uh, in December where there's the best ad revenue. And two weeks into it, the reporting, the, the, the reporting system started to get flaky. And then three weeks into it, it stopped working at all. So I emailed the guy, hey, oh, no, no, we're fixing it. Another week goes by and I'm like, okay, something's just not right here. And what had happened is this guy had taken the website of that real company and put one up at the .net instead of the .com made it look exactly like it, but just changed it to his, his burner phone number. And because I didn't do any due diligence, because I thought I knew who I was dealing with, I lost thousands of dollars of revenue to this guy's scam. Wow. And, the uh, energy that someone would put into something like that. It, it baffles me. And so my, my immediate response was like, I'm going to war. I'm going to hire a lawyer. I'm just going to make this guy's life miserable. And luckily I thought better about that. And said, you know, there's, there's better efforts that I can put my, my time and effort and my, my emotions into. And rather than chasing this, this character down, I thought, oh, I need to come up with standard business practices that if I have a new advertiser, there's this checklist of things that I go through. Where are they located? Is there an address on their website? Is there a phone number on their website? How long have they been, been in business? And, just kind of this checklist that no matter how excited I am about potentially working with a company, I've got something to keep myself in check so I don't make a stupid decision. Uh, and so I think that's a great thing that whether you're working for a huge corporation or, or yourself, having those business processes in place help you when you expand and you, you now hand it off to somebody else. You've got your business processes written down because you're using them for yourself so you know that they actually even work. Yes, unfortunately, we do learn a lot of these lessons the hard way. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those things you're like, well, how can I make lemonade out of lemons? And now yes. my business will be better because of this experience. And good thing it was only three or four weeks. <laughs> yes. L- luckily, it wasn't. I mean, it was you, you never want to lose money, yeah. but it wasn't it wasn't a devastating amount of money. And I would have had to pay way more in lawyers anyway to even try to, and I'm sure the guy would never, they'd never find a bank account and give it up. So right. it would never work out. <laughs> okay. So tips. So what else? Yes. Tell me more. Use an automated offsite backup service. I hear a lot of people say, well, I've got a, I've got a backup drive right next to my computer. And once a week I you know, hit the button to, to copy it off to that drive. While that sounds like it's a really good idea. There's two like fundamental mistakes about that. One, uh, nobody remembers to actually hit the button to back up on a regular basis. It, you get busy. Oh, no, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. And a month goes by and you haven't backed up your computer. The second thing is, uh, let's think worst case scenario. Your house burns down. Well, your computer was in the house and the backup was sitting right next to it. How does that really actually provide you any, any safety whatsoever? So there's lots of, uh, lots of services these days that will do online backup that are if you think about the, you know, it's, it's, it's insurance, so to speak, uh, for 
$50 a year, $40 a year, or something like that, you can have your entire computer backed up, all your documents, everything that you need to run your business. It's up in the cloud and you can get it back almost right away from anywhere in the world if you need to get it back to it. So I remember a, um, uh, someone that I had done some consulting work for, the CEO's computer crashed. And it was like, okay, how valuable, like that $60 per computer per year, how valuable is that CEO's time? Luckily, they, had, they were able to recover the drive, but it took like two or three days for that to happen. So they lost all of the CEO's productivity for a couple of days. He didn't know when his meetings were. He didn't know who he was supposed to call back. Well, so much of what we do is online and saved online. And I mean, it's kind of like if you lose your phone, you're like, now I'm lost. Yes, exactly. Thing number two, use a password manager. Oh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. these, these days, everything on the planet uh, is getting hacked. If it hasn't been hacked yet, it will get hacked. And you always have to just like assume your accounts are going to get compromised. Someone's going to figure out your password. And if you're using the same password everywhere, you know, once they figured it out, they're going to try every bank on the planet. They're going to try every, you know, social media platform. If you're using your same email password everywhere, now they've got access to your email. Again, like password managers are free. Why would you, you know, everyone should be using it. It can be a pain. Which one do you recommend? I use one password. I know uh, Dashlane is popular as is LastPass. I think we use LastPass and it's something my husband sets up because I wouldn't have thought of it myself, but it's so helpful. It's so helpful. Yes. It's super, super, you know, once you're used to doing it, it's no big deal. You feel that, that freedom of like, I don't have to remember passwords anymore. I don't have to remember Oh, it's, was it uppercase and lowercase? Was, did, I, did I put an exclamation point at the end or two of them because it required two special characters? Yeah, <laughs> it's so like, funny. You don't have to figure that stuff out anymore. Well, and I think that so many times if, if this seems foreign to you and you're like, I don't know what that means or what this is, everything is learnable. This is one thing yes. I've learned over the years is that there's a lot of times I don't even know what that means or what that looks like. But you can search, you can Google, and once you learn it, you, you know it. And so it's not, it's not hard. It just might be new. So if you haven't looked into it, definitely do. Because once you have it installed, like you said, it's easy to use and it can give you brain space back. Yep. And, and it just takes that niggling fear. You, know, the, you don't wake up in the middle of the night going, oh my gosh, what if someone got, you know, got into this? Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to find out, if like your passwords have ever been compromised, there's a website called Have I Been Owned? But instead of an O, it's a P, hacker terminology. And this guy has put together this database of like all these massive breaches that you type in your email address and it'll say, oh, that was part of the Adobe breach back in 2013. So wow. if you use that same password anywhere else, you better change it. Interesting. It just kind of goes to show you like how many things get breached, how quickly. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh, number three. That. We'll put that website in the show notes below for you guys too. Yes. Go I will ahead. definitely send that to you. Uh, number three, this is a little harder for some people, but enable two-factor authentication. Like this, okay, it's one of those really geeky terms, but that's the, you type in your password and your bank texts you another code to put in. That's really important. I, you know, some people do it on everything. I'm not such a fan on doing it on everything in your life because then you're just constantly, I log in, oh, where's my phone? Where's this? 
it can be a little disruptive, but when it comes to like banking and financial stuff, if you can enable two-factor authentication, absolutely do it. If you're like super famous also, do it everywhere. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay. somebody's going to get into your stuff and it just means you have to have your phone and the password and it just reduces the, the chance of someone getting into your accounts. Even if, they, even if your phone gets compromised or your computer gets compromised, it's, a, it's one more thing that they have to figure out how to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. We just, I just did that with my Amazon business account and it's one more step. It's just one more step. And so it's, it's smart to do just to keep that barrier. It's particularly if it's, it's a business function. If you got locked out of your Amazon business account, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Or if someone else got access to that and changed the bank account number associated with it and all the money went to them instead of you, that's massively important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So this is the one that no one wants to hear. Keep all your hardware and software updated. The, the software is usually, these days the software is better. If, if anything offers the ability to, do you want to automatically update the software? Hit yes. Let the software update itself. You know, anytime your computer says, I've got new updates to install. Do you want me to install them now or, or five years from now? Choose now. There's a reason why those things are happening. It's because they've found a bug. Somebody is exploiting it. And if you don't do it, you will get compromised sooner than later. The hardware stuff is, you know, unfortunately, it's, it's more difficult. Some of it, I think, is making sure you choose products that where it's a rep. You're not necessarily choosing the cheapest thing, but you're choosing someone who's been in the business a long time and they have a reputation of making sure that they're keeping stuff updated. So it's like... Update your router. Oh gosh, how do you do that? Okay, you know those things are more complicated to do, and you know you're lucky you've got the IT guy in the house already. Uh, my wife's lucky I'm the IT guy who makes sure all this stuff is updated. But just in this modern age, it's something that we all just have to learn how to do. If you've got something in your house that's internet connected, you've got to make sure that the firmware is being updated regularly. Yeah, not fun to do. It's the sort of thing that you put on your to do list and you you do once a month. You just double check stuff. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I do think that in this day and age, I, I heard somebody say this recently that our brains are growing at a much faster rate than our like grandparents because they didn't have to learn new things all the time. And, and we get to learn new things all the time, especially with technology changing. So you do want to be on um, within that trend and kind of stay current with it because it's going to change again and you want, yeah. you want to stay on top of it. Yeah. And that's, that's the challenging thing is this stuff just, it, it gets replaced and updated and it's, it's something new that you've got to learn. You know, every couple of months there's some new piece of hardware that you've got to have that you need to pay attention to how it works or at least have a basic understanding of what it's doing and what the risks are associated with using it. Yep. Yep. All right. Any more tips for us? Uh, last one, because entrepreneurs love to travel. I mean, that's why lots of people want to become self-employed because they want that opportunity to, I'm tired. I, want, I, don't, I don't want to be living off of two weeks of company vacation time that I can only take it in, in three-day increments, no less than three months apart or you know, all, all the wacky HR rules. Use a VPN when you're traveling. So what a VPN is, it builds basically a tunnel between your device and uh, the provider's network. So if you're in a country that is a little more fussy about social media and what you can and can't access on social media, uh, you know, you've heard of the, the Great Firewall of China blocking access to news sites and things like that. 
And some of us just want to be able to access Netflix and, you know, our favorite uh, streaming services while we're traveling. And so using a VPN is a good way to kind of protect yourself from these fishy networks of, you know, do you really trust the mom and pop bagel shop being able to build a good secure network? Now they make good bagels. That's what you want them to do. You know, you use a company that provides network security to help you keep safe while you're traveling. And there's, there's, there's hardware solutions like uh, Kiesel and there's software solutions there. They can be pretty cheap. They can get pricey, but if you want to be careful about what your network is doing and what's going on in your network, that's a good thing to use while you're traveling. Very cool. Yeah. I think in this day and age, most people want to kind of either have a side hustle that hopefully potentially will grow into their main hustle. And being a solopreneur is like the thing to do. It's like, if you're going to be on social media, if you're going to be online, you might as well be making money. So your tips allow us to grow in our business, but stay safe in the process. Exactly. That's what we want to do. We want to make sure that's kind of become my my passion these days is really trying to make sure that people are safe when they're online and that they're not, uh, there's too many bad guys out there. We need to be smart about what we do and some basic practices will really make a huge difference in keeping us safe when we're online. Awesome. Awesome. Well, what are you up to next? Like, are you, are you continuing to pour into the, what is my IP address.com or are you branching out into anything new? Uh, I'm continuing to pour a lot of resources into that, but I'm trying to find out what do I want to do next? I'm trying to, like we talked about getting those things in place so that it takes less and less of my time. And uh, that way it'll free me up, free up, free up some of my time to find something new and interesting. Uh, You know, just like your day job can go away overnight, your side hustle can potentially do the same thing. So it's always good to have, what's the phrase, multiple streams of recurring revenue. In, in different verticals and different places. That way, if something goes wrong one place, you're not having to start from zero. You at least have something already going. Now, is this spurred from your business coach? Uh, no, that's mainly my wife saying, honey. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's great that we have all this income coming in, but uh, you know what? When it's an internet business, if yeah. Google decides we don't like you anymore, that can shut your business down overnight. So you just can't assume that this one thing is going to stay a a moneymaker for the next 50 years. You've got to assume that, Hey, this, this, this will fade away. Something new will happen. And having multiple things that you do just lessens the, the risk associated with any one of them. Cool. So you're streamlining this current business. So then you've got brain space and time to kind of think and, and pursue other passions as well. Yes, that's what I'm doing. Very cool. Is there anything else that your business coach has spurred you to do besides kind of getting uncomfortable, streamlining some things and really finding some outsourcers to take the day-to-day stuff off your plate? Um, I I think part of just working with a business coach has also got me just thinking. I'm trying to think. It's helping me think a little bit more out of the box. I I used to honestly hate reading business books. I think it's because I just wasn't in a place in my life and in my business where there was anything applicable to it. And nowadays, I'm you know I've I've got books that I'm reading. I've got podcasts that I'm listening to. I'm just trying to always keep my mind open to what are some of these things that I can apply. What would spark some interest? It's been a little bit overwhelming in the sense of a lot of work. There's a, a program that I'm going through called the Ask Method by Ryan Levesque. And it really teaches you how to understand your customers better. It's been a great exercise of learning kind of the language 
that my customers use so that when I talk to them, they're like, you get me, you understand me as opposed to, well, you're just talking in techno babble. You're using your, you know, industry language, not what real people do. And so it's been a great help and hopefully it'll give us some insight into being able to, uh, it allows you to like bucket your customers so that you're, this value is important to this set of people. So let me talk to them this way. This value is important to this group of people. So let me talk to them this way. So you can really bucket your people and uh, talk to them in a more effective, more meaningful way. Talk to them in a way that not only they understand, but in a way that gets them to take action and say, oh, I need what you have. Yes. That's the exact product that I'm looking for because, and they know it because you've communicated exactly what their, their challenge is. You've communicated exactly what the solution is. And they're like, ah, this is a perfect match. One of the examples he, he talks about is even like a, a golfing business. If you're 10 years off in the understanding of the age of your, your audience, you're talking to the wrong people. You're, you're talking to baby boomers instead of Gen X. I mean, that's not for golf, but uh, so you've got the wrong music references, the wrong car references, and you just don't quite connect as much as you would if you really understand who your audience is. You know, I think that's so interesting because when you think of entrepreneurship, it's a bit risky. It's a bit, you know, kind of paving your own way. You can think of yourself like in a field and you're like, okay, I'm plowing through. And having a business coach helps you pave the path for you so they can give you ideas. What I love about entrepreneurship is you really are learning how to communicate to your people in a way that gets them something that they want. Like they already want this product or service and you're speaking to them in a way. So it's really like I was a psychology major and people often ask if I'm still using my degree and I'm like all the time because <laughs> that's what we do is we kind of want to, we want to get in people's heads and think what is it that they're thinking right now and how can I answer their question? So then they really feel that connection. So interesting to me. Yes. How can I best serve by better knowing the people you can better serve them and, and better meet their needs and, if you could make some money while helping them meet their needs in the process, it's a great fit. Absolutely. And, and, they, and, and they feel good about it. You've helped me. So I'm perfectly good in giving you money. It's, you haven't scammed me. You haven't swindled me. It's you've provided a service that I find valuable and I have no issue compensating you for that. It's an equal energy exchange. You know, they, exactly. they yes. want, people want to pay for value. They, when they feel like their life is better, they're very willing to, to pay for that because they know that that's the equal energy exchange. Very cool. Well, is there anything else that you want to add? I think I'm good. I really appreciate being able to speak with you today. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. We know that starting a business and making there's several pivot points, there's several transitions. It sounds like you're even going through one right now. Like, okay, what is next for me? And that's always a fun and a little bit scary place to be. So I'm excited to see what you land on and know that whatever it is, you are going to experience success. So thank you for sharing today. And all of Chris's details will be in the show notes and description box below. Thank you so much for listening today. Head over to denisewalsh.com. Enter your email to subscribe to our list and I'll be sending out an early bird special coupon. 50% off, in fact, of the Dream Life Workbook when it is launched in just a few months. So if you want to have first dibs, let's get your name on that list. Thanks again. I so appreciate you and remember to dream big.